Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Schaffner and welcome to the Spectrum of Health podcast. I'm talking today to my guest, Dr. Justin, and we're talking about thyroid health and all things functional medicine. He gives us a lot of great clinical pearls and information in this podcast, so I hope you enjoy. A little bit about Dr. Justin, he is a graduate of the University of Massachusetts at Amherst with a degree in kinesiology and pre-medical studies. He has completed his doctorate degree in chiropractic from Life West University and is a licensed doctor of chiropractic in the state of Texas. He's completed postgraduate study in the area of clinical nutrition, rehabilitative exercise, functional medicine, so he can offer the most cutting edge techniques to help address his patients' growing healthcare needs. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Welcome, Dr. Justin. I'm really excited to get to know you. Dr. Christine, I am as well. Really excited to chat today. Oh, well, a lot of my listeners are so passionate about learning more about their health, and we have a lot of practitioners who listen as well. But before we dive into all your wonderful knowledge about thyroid health and your unique approach, I would love to hear you know, a little bit about your background and how you got to be, uh, become the doctor you are today. It's a great question. So my mother worked in conventional surgery OR for, I mean, I think it's going on 45, 50 years at this point. So kind of grew up in a very more conventional minded type of household. Mm-hmm. And my dad was a little bit more into like natural health and supplements and stuff. But, you know, I, I kind of still had that conventional mindset. So I worked in surgery center throughout college, thinking I wanted to go that pre-medical med school kind of surgery route. And I was that person in the OR that would hold the limbs on the diabetic patients as they would get literally all the veins and arteries would get tied off and they would cut off those limbs. And I was that person that was holding it and bringing it down to the morgue. And it was, it was pretty surreal when you're holding someone's limb in your hand and you're like, you're thinking, you're like, man, like how could we have gotten in front of this and prevented this? And I just quickly realized that mindset wasn't really there for most of the surgeons doing the surgery. They were just like, all right, we got some gangrenous tissue. We're going to cut it off. And they're just kind of in the moment trying to fix what they see. And they're not really concerned about upstream issues and how to get in front of it. And so I just started off with, well, what can we do nutritionally? And then I realized, wow, there's a lot of people that are reversing their diabetes and and some of their ailments with just simple nutritional changes. And then the the whole nutritional thing opens up functional medicine and and that whole world became apparent and really changed the course and, you know, going to, to doctoral school on the chiropractic side and studying functional medicine and growing my practice and having a virtual practice for over the last decade. Um, seeing thousands of patients. So it's been a really big shift for the last 20 years, I'd say. Wow. Wow. What an incredible you know, story. And I, I grew up around conventional medicine as well, not surgery, but my father is an oncologist and my mother has oh, a wow. background. So I, yeah. you know, I would see kind of more of the chemotherapy aspects and intense conventional care, which, you know, everything has a time and a place, but the work that we are both do, you know, how do we not get into that situation to begin with? So totally. Yeah. So, so you obviously do a lot of looking at the whole body, you know, functional medicine, your own approach, but you've been really focused on the thyroid. It sounds like, and you even wrote a book. Yeah. Yeah. I have a book coming out called the thyroid reset. I have an autoimmune thyroid condition called Hashimoto's. A lot of people do, especially a lot of women. I think it's one in five now these days. It's pretty crazy. Uh, The number, I mean, they're finding new autoimmune conditions all the time, but thyroid is one of the most common and well afflicted. So it's something that it's affected me and a lot of my patients. So I've looked at it and, you know, I think as you know, as a naturopath, you may agree like naturopaths and functional medicine doctors to be successful, you have to be a really good generalist. Like you may focus on like one area or have a lot of knowledge in that area, but you have to connect it to everything else. Cause we know how important 
with autoimmunity, the gut plays a big role. So we have to really understand the gut and gut permeability and gut infections and digestion and, and how that affects the immune response. And of course, the adrenals play a big role and, and just being able to digest all your nutrients because because you're having a great diet, you may not be able to absorb, assimilate and utilize all those nutrients. And then we have toxicity. So you can see there's a spider web and how functional medicine works and everything's connected. So it's good to have a lot of knowledge like I do in one area, which is great, but you want to be able to connect that and also zoom out just like you can zoom in. Mm -hmm. I love it. So if someone walks in your door today and they say that they have Hashimoto's, where do you start and how do you evaluate them? Yeah, so a lot of people, especially in the conventional medical realm who may have a thyroid issue, they may not even know they have Hashimoto's, right? Because they're typically only testing TSH. Maybe you're lucky to get a T4 thrown in there. And usually a lot of the thyroid antibody testing isn't done because it doesn't really change the conventional medical doctor's treatment. They're not going to give you an immunosuppressant or some kind of prednisone. Typically, a lot of those side effects are worse than the condition itself. So you're kind of stuck and we, you know, maybe just assuming that you have Hashimoto's because so many people do, but we'd first want to test. We want to do a full test to look at, you know, your thyroid is, is the primary thyroid issue where it's just an elevation in TSH, but T4 and T3 is, is good. Or is there a conversion issue downstream with T4 to T3? Is there a reverse T3 issue, maybe connected to adrenals or other issues could be going on with other hormones that make it feel like a thyroid issue. Like the adrenals could over overlay and make you feel fatigued or tired or anxious. Or you could have, you're, you're, you always have the right to have more than one problem. I tell my patients, you could have estrogen dominance as a female. You could have low cortisol, adrenal dysfunction, flat cortisol, as well as having Hashimoto's all at the same time. So it's really important to kind of go into whatever you think the issue is, is with an open mind and, and don't be, don't be so connected to the diagnosis, right? You know, because you can have a lot of issues. And in the end, the diagnosis, for the most people, it's just an ICD-10 code so a doctor can prescribe a drug. For a naturopath or a functional medicine doc, it's just gives us a clue to going upstream to addressing the systems, the body systems and underlying stressors that predispose those systems from dysfunctioning. So we really want to go, you know, above, below, inside, out, not just looking at the outside manifestations and giving someone a ICD-10 code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I am in complete agreement. And um, you mentioned some lab tests. So for people who are listening, obviously there's the PSH, the free yep. T4, the free T3, the reverse T3, and then the thyroid antibodies, the antithyroid globulin, and the anti-thyroid peroxidase. Yep. Um, and then can you just share, I would love your opinion, because I see a lot in practice this reverse T3 being elevated. And so what does that mean to you for you when you evaluate your patients? Yeah, you can, you can definitely see reverse T3 being elevated. I typically only run that if I see low free T, free T3. If free T3 is good, then typically reverse T3 is going to be fine because you know usually you start to see free T3 drop and then reverse T3 go up. It's kind of like a seesaw. Uh, you can also run a total T3 and a total T4 as well. It, it's not necessary per se, but usually with my first test, I'll do it to kind of see if there's any aberrations. And then usually I just stick to the free ones because it you know cuts the test cost in half for most patients a little bit more cost effective. Mm -hmm. So as long as I know they're pretty good with the totals, then then that's good to know. And then reverse T3s, yeah, if I'm seeing you know a T3 issue, like let's say T4 to T3, there's there's a, a, a difference in the conversion, right? Mm -hmm. So with T4 free, we want maybe between one and 1.5 on the reference range for T4 free, maybe six to 10 or so for T4 total. Mm -hmm. And when we start seeing that conversion drop to that bottom quarter or so for the reference range for T3, so maybe T3 free would be under two and a half. Mm -hmm. 
or T3 total under 100, under 90, that tells us maybe they're starting to become a conversion issue. And so we could then look at that reverse T3, see where that's at. If reverse T3 is an issue, for sure, if it's on the higher side, we're definitely going to put more focus on the adrenals and cortisol. We're also going to put focus on you know converting nutrients like uh, selenium, that selenium building blocks, an important building block for the enzymes that convert T4 to T3. We may also look at liver function. So I'll run like a lot of organic acid tests to look at a lot of the sulfur amino acid precursors for glutathione because glutathione is very important for the liver and reverse T3. But we'll definitely look at the nutrients, look at the adrenal function. And because the thyroid and the adrenals, they interact so much, I always test both at the same time. Always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great points. You shared a lot of clinical pearls about reference ranges. Do you have a yeah. reference range for a reverse D3 that you like? Or everyone's a little bit different, but I was just curious. Yeah, I would say typically under 20, maybe maybe under 17 or so. Usually between 10 and 17 is like the typical, you know, that's a pretty good place to be. I've heard supposedly when T3, when reverse T3 is too low, that could be an, actually an iodine issue too. Okay. I yeah. yeah. I sometimes see, see that and try to make sense of that. You know, we always are looking with thyroid nutrients, like you mentioned iodine, but yeah, that's a good, another good clinical pearl. So, um, you know, in the conventional world, um, often when you have an autoimmune condition, um, people often say it's lifelong, it's not reversible. You're always going to have these autoantibodies. And so in your experience, have you seen people's um, autoantibodies either um, completely be eliminated or decrease? And how? what, what are some um, tools that you've used to do that? That's a really, really great question. So I see a lot of patients that come in from a lot of different places, okay? So I see patients that come in that are on a standard American diet, eating gluten, their TPO antibodies are over 2,000, right? I've seen patients like that, we get their antibodies, you know, negative, right? Mm-hmm. Negative, I think is for Quest, I think it's like under 15 or so for TPO and usually under one for thyroglobulin, that's typical reference range. I think LabCorp is under 33. So I've seen that a lot. Um, a lot of patients, we may not be able to get them fully negative, but depending on where they're coming from, we may be able to get a significant reduction. So like a lot of patients I see coming in, they'll be like around four or 500. And then we'll typically get them down into the low 100s. I always strive for like a 50 to 75% reduction. Mm-hmm. And then it just depends on how good they are. So I'm starting them off on an autoimmune template, right? We're, cut, we're on an autoimmune template. We're adding in some of those extra thyroid nutrients. I'm always careful with iodine in the beginning mm-hmm. when there's autoimmunity, just because that can, the iodination process with higher amounts of iodine can spit off more hydrogen peroxide, which can be a little bit more inflammatory. It can increase B cell lymphocyte infiltration into the thyroid tissue, upregulating autoimmunity. So we just got to be careful in the beginning. Not saying we don't add in some smaller amounts of iodine, couple hundred mics at a time, but we do that later on when inflammation is stable and gut permeability and inflammation there is stable too. And then I'll kind of work that in. I mean, it's kind of a controversial thing in in medicine with thyroid. Um, You know, some people do it really high. They go up 10, 15, 20 milligrams, like a Dr. Brownstein kind of doctor. Some go a little bit, you know, they're like none, like Dr. Karazian's like not one bit of iodine. I kind of like, I'm a a little bit more favored to Dr. Karazian because I've seen a lot of data on higher amounts of iodine increasing Hashimoto's. But I do think some people need some depending on how deficient or bad their diet's been. Mm-hmm. So I always keep that in the back of my head. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, so we're talking autoimmune mm-hmm. stuff, right? We're going to get that under control. We're going to look at the adrenals. And then we're going to also uh, keep an eye out for low stomach acid, low enzyme levels, and maybe even other underlying infections that could be part of what's mm-hmm. going on in the hood. Mm-hmm. 
Awesome. And then you mentioned, obviously, diet, and you mentioned this patient, you know, who's on a gluten standard American diet. Can you talk about the relationship with, um, with gluten and Hashimoto's? Yeah, it's a great question. So just to kind of dovetail, there was one point on the last topic I wanted to hit. We may not be able to get everyone's antibodies negative, sure. right? But I always strive for a significant reduction. And it just depends where people are coming in. Some patients I see that have, they've been on an autoimmune diet and seen a lot of great doctors for a couple of years. So where their antibodies are at, they, they, they may have already been way higher and they're coming down to a better place. And so we may not be able to get that much more reduction. It all depends upon where they're coming from and what they've already done. But the low hanging fruits are like you mentioned, gluten, a lot of data with gluten and the whole molecular mimicry aspect, essentially the, the surface proteins on the gluten molecule, that amino acid sequence is very similar to the thyroid. And so when that gluten protein interacts with the gut, it can create inflammation. It can open those tight junctions in the gut and that gluten protein can slip through. And that can go into the bloodstream where your immune system tags that surface amino acid sequence. And it says, hmm, that looks pretty similar to the thyroid. And then you can have antibodies for the thyroid increasing because of gluten. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, um, so there's gluten, you mentioned molecular mimicry, which yes. is then a trigger for uh, potential, um, how we all feel a theory of why there is autoimmunity as yeah. you just all explained. But aside from gluten, are there other triggers? I mean, when I think of Hashimoto's, Hashimoto's I think about you know, stealth path, path, pathogens and viral infections, as well as heavy metals. And what, what's your experience with um, either? Yeah. Yeah, so just to kind of dovetail, gluten's a big one. It's partly been worse because of hybridization and genetically modification of a lot of these proteins over the last 50 or so years. A lot of the Roundup residue in gluten also is known to increase gut permeability as well, thus making gluten more of a trigger. Uh, there's also casein, which is the major protein in dairy. You may see other anti-nutrients that are in you know, high, high lectin foods like you know beans or lentils or nuts or seeds could be a, a big issue too in some. So that's why an autoimmune diet is a good starting point. You kind of are alluded to some metals, right? There's some data on mercury being an issue, um, lead potentially being an issue. Uh, other gut infections like blastocystis hominis could be a problem. That's a parasite I see a lot. Mm -hmm. H. pylori, saw a patient a minute ago, just, died, just diagnosed him with H. pylori issues. Um, we also, you get to see Yersinia enterocolitica. We could see uh -huh. Borrelia burgdorferi. That's a Lyme bacteria. Um, we could see other candida and, and various mycotoxins or mold toxins could be another one. So all those things definitely have a role. And so when you see a patient, you know, you just kind of look at them as a puzzle and you're like, all right, how many inputs, how many negative inputs to their, to their thyroid are there? Is there an adrenal issue, a gut infection? Is there a gluten issue? Is there a heavy metal issue? And I kind of, I deal with things in a systematic order. So I work with the patient. I always work with the foundations. Mm -hmm. I was just telling this patient a minute ago before I got on this call with you. This patient had neurological headaches for many, many years, saw many great doctors in the area on the conventional neurologist side that wasn't able to help him, did all these fancy tests for years, went through the ringer, no help. Within the first month and a half seeing me, they're 100% gone, barely even did too, that much. Just food, blood sugar, diet, a couple of simple nutrients and better digestive support. We didn't even go deep enough down the adrenal rabbit hole, which there are problems, there are infections, but we didn't even have to go down that far and we're already seeing significant resolution. And it just, as a functional medicine doctor, it just kind of like, it gets me centered on foundation, 
first because there's so many patients that just get worked, that gets, they get helped and they get lots of improvement when you work on those foundational fundamentals and go up from there. So I always tell patients like, you may be thinking about, oh, I wanna do this sexy chelation protocol or that, or this mold detox. It's like, no, make sure you find a good functional medicine doctor and you have a foundational approach and you work your way up. Don't mm -hmm. go into the fancy stuff off the bat, really make sure that foundation's solid. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, sometimes we can, you know, again, we were always so excited about the latest information, yes. innovative, um, you know, cutting edge therapies, which are awesome when patients are really yes. you know, stuck. But I, I agree there's sometimes, you know, people still need to fine tune their diet, their home environment, um, and just making sure that, you know, we have the foundation set for whatever we do next. I, I'm a big believer in that as well. And I find that people that make that mistake the most are conventional medical doctors that have come over to the functional medicine side. Because I, I still think there's some of that reductionistic thinking from their medical training, and they kind of apply that on the functional medicine side. We're like, oh, I learned this cool mold detox. Let's go into that. Or like, I learned this cool Lyme protocol. Let's go into that. And that's okay. Just make sure as a patient, because my main goal is I want to educate patients to be good patients. Make sure you always inquire, hey, what, what's the foundation? Make sure you're working from a really good foundation and make sure that doctor or that clinician is leading you in that direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great points. And, you know, once that foundation is solid, and once you've been um, successful implementing that with the patient, yes. you mentioned a number of um, really infections. Um, so mm -hmm. do you have any um, pearls or tips of tests that you recommend for your patients? Or is it a more of a clinical diagnosis? Just, um, I, you know, I'm always curious what other people are using for labs. Yeah, so there's some good tests out there. I mean, I like a lot of the genetic tests. The the GI map stool test is a really yeah. good one for um, for lab testing for the gut. I like it. It's really sensitive. Mm -hmm. I like doing a lot of organic acid testing for gut bacteria and yeast a lot of times. I find sometimes yeast can be missed a lot on um, stool testing. So it's nice mm -hmm. to run like a, a diarabinitol, which is a really nice marker, diarabinose for the yeast. Uh, there's other stool tests I run as well. Um, like Doctor's Data is a pretty good one too. We'll look at that. And then um, on the co-infection side, I'll typically, you know, there's one by medical diagnostic laboratories that I like for a co-infection. There's an hygienics panel. There's a cut was one by, I think it's DNA solutions as well. It's another good one. So those are a couple off the bat that I will do for some of those chronic infections. And then there's some good urinary mold tests that are out as well. So mm -hmm. I'll typically always default to testing the person's home before I test them just because that, that tends to be the low-hanging fruit. And so there's different like play testing that's out there that I'll use to assess that. And it's important, like when um, a patient's listening, you know, don't try to doctor yourself. It's really tough when you're trying to connect all these dots. It's, it's kind of akin to you representing yourself in a court of law as your own attorney. Like you're mm -hmm. probably not going to do the best job. Like you see court TV with someone's I try to defend themselves. It typically doesn't work out good in their favor. So it's good that you have a, a good functional medicine doc in your corner it just has a lot of experience because like when I work with a patient, I have thousands of N equals one, you know, working with the patient in my database. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I remember that patient, I remember that patient. But when you're just working as your own experience, there's no way to connect different things and you may get lost and confused and you may waste a lot of money doing things in the wrong order um, or not getting to the right root issue because you get too emotionally invested in one thing. So I think it's good to really find a good functional medicine doc that can help you see through it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, I think it's awesome that there's so much information out there and yep. people who we see tend to have to educate themselves to understand, you know, what they're looking for, for help, because it's, you know, usually they've been um, just lost in the conventional 
medical paradigm because they just don't have the tools yes. for the medicine that we practice. And so, um, but yeah, I think there, you know, we all have our blind spots. Like I don't treat myself, you know, I, I have yeah. my colleagues and my yep. friends treat me. So I, I yep. am a, I'm a firm believer in that as well. So I was just curious, I think on um, one of your blogs, you also treat parasitic infections, Yes, we do a lot as well. And so, um, you know, the, you mentioned some really great labs that we use also, but, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes still those, the GI map test could miss um, a chronic or persistent parasitic infection. Mm -hmm. Do you have any other like clinical pearls and how you make that decision to treat it? And, you know, is that more of a clinical diagnosis for you or do you just go off the lab work? Um, so what I typically create a protocol for a patient, I, I'm, I'm using herbs that are going to be therapeutic enough and have going to have a, enough cross reactivity, enough of a bigger umbrella where they're going to have the ability to knock down other infections if they are missed. So mm -hmm. I always try to use things therapeutically enough where there's going to be at least the ability to knock down other types of critters if they are there. Mm -hmm. And then I like to look at the urine a lot on the organic acid side. That gives me a really good window just so... If there's some gut bacteria or dysbiosis, because you know people can have, you don't have to have a crazy infection to have a lot of symptoms. Like you could just have a lot of bacterial overgrowth and dysbiosis from lots of processed sugar and antibiotic exposure. You know things like that can, you know, can easily be the root issue. You didn't, you know, you may not have gotten an entamoeba histolytica infection in, in Africa to, to be really sick. And so I'll look really succinctly at that, and then we'll use herbal protocols that are going to be therapeutic enough to, to still have some cross. Uh, potency with other infections as well. And then typically we retest too. I find that there's definitely some level of crypt hyperplasia that happens where there's the sloughing off of the gut lining and other infections can come out that maybe have been buried deeper in the gut lining on retest. And I see that a lot of time, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Have really, you seen that? Yeah. Really good point. And uh, yeah. yeah, when you think about the ecosystem, right. Yeah. And you know, the biofilm and all of that. So I um, know I see that as well. Do you have any favorite herbs that you like doing a lot for treating gut infections? I, I love golden seal. Golden seal is excellent. Very high doses of golden seal. I like burdock. Burdock is one of my favorite because it really helps the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. It's in a lot of like old fashioned, like cancer formulas, like the SEAC protocol. Um, so I like it for the lymph because a lot of times when you're killing a lot of dead debris, comes out and biotoxins come out and, and the lymphatic system can really get stressed. So I love burdock, of course, just like higher dose oil of oregano, higher dose berberines work excellent. Berberine and artemisia have a wonderful kind of synergistic protocol. Stephen Buhner talks about that in some of his herbal books. Um, artemisia and berberine work absolutely wonderful. So those are a couple off the bat that I, I really, really enjoy. Yeah, great pearls. And we follow a lot of Stephen Buhner's herbal yeah. protocols, especially for Lyme and co-infections and great. Brilliant. he has great books and I always speak a lot about the lymphatic system because I feel like it's one of the most overlooked systems and um, once uh, you know people can feel really crummy if you don't get the lymph moving so burdock is a great clinical pearl as well I like ginger I like ginger for the lymph as well and then you can obviously just like like you know we talked about foundations don't miss the don't mess with the foundation so getting enough hydration and water, right? The solution to pollution is dilution, those kind of things. And of course, maybe some rebounding, or if you have a whole body vibration, those, those things are very uh, clinically helpful too. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So we've talked about the thyroid and, uh, you know, that whole picture um, is it relates to autoimmunity. We've talked about gut health, maybe a few more notes on adrenal health. Cause I think adrenal, um, yeah. you know, the adrenals are still maybe misunderstood. You know, everyone is stressed out, right. That comes to yeah. see it there's different stages of how that we should look at the adrenals. So maybe some clinical insight when you're looking at recovering, 
you know, thyroid, gut, and where the adrenals play. So really interesting. So a couple of things off the bat, when you have very, very low cortisol, now let's, we'll look at it at the pathological extreme, right? Addison's disease is like pathologically low cortisol, usually due to some kind of autoimmune attack, right? If you look at the contraindications for Addison's disease, Synthroid or thyroid hormone is actually one of them. So a big mistake a lot of people make is when they think they have a thyroid issue, but they also have very, very low cortisol, you can actually feel worse when you go on thyroid hormone. So that's really important. That's why people that are chronically stressed, when they add in thyroid hormone, even though they know they may need it, they may feel worse partly for that reason. So it's really good to get your cortisol tested. Now, I like doing the Dutch testing because I like getting a window into free and total cortisol. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice. Um, there's a couple of thyroid patterns I see when you have a high amount of free cortisol, but low total cortisol, that's a thyroid pattern a lot of times. So a lot of patients may look like they have higher cortisol on the free side, but they actually have very low total output. And that's important on the thyroid. And of course, if you have low free and total cortisol, cortisol does help thyroid hormone get into the cell. And that when you increase thyroid hormone with low cortisol, it can actually lower cortisol even more. That's partly what happens there. So that's why cortisol is so important with that thyroid hormone transportation. And also, if you're flipped, if you have that low total and high free, that could also mean a thyroid pattern as well. So it's good to look at everything together because you'd be surprised what happens, what comes out sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great pearls. And then when we think about the endocrine system, there's also the top-down communication, right? The hypothalamus, pituitary, is there anything that you um, look at specifically there? Yeah, so off the bat, anytime I see HPA access issues, like the first thing I, I, I try to do is one, get inflammation down, right? Okay. The more you get inflammation down, that automatically helps with hypothalamic pituitary adrenal function. Then blood sugar stability, right? A lot of people get caught up in a lot of like, fasting protocols, which are great, but if you're nutritionally inflamed and you're not getting a lot of nutrients mm -hmm. and you got blood sugar issues, that you, that may make you worse, right? It's kind of mm -hmm. like, well, exercise is good. Therefore, I'm sedentary. I'm going to jump into CrossFit five days a week. It's like, yeah, you're going to feel worse, right? So you got to just take, you can't take one thing and say it's good and go to the extreme. You have to kind of meet, I always try to meet the patient where they're at. And that's, that's an important kind of concept. I always have to remind myself when dealing with patients. So when it comes to HPA access, getting inflammation under control, getting blood sugar under control, uh, working on circadian rhythm with sleep and repair and recovery. And then you can always do different things, different herbs and adaptogens to kind of help with that HPA access, whether it's um, holy basil or ginseng or ashwagandha or eleuthero or, or rhodiola, lots of different adaptogens that have been shown to be helpful. And then just supporting healthy cortisol function with whatever that may entail based on the adrenal protocol, right? If it's high or low, different things can be used to help help that, whether it's phosphorylated serine or vitamin C or B5, it would depend upon the adrenal pattern. But so you want to test it and then work on the foundations all the way up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Great information. And I think, you know, closing the loop on kind of the whole endocrine system, you mentioned you do the Dutch test. And so thinking about reproductive hormones for both women and men, when we look at these, you know, thyroid, adrenal, even the hypothalamic pituitary access, just kind of looking at also how that interplays with reproductive hormones. Yeah. I mean, women are, are really affected by stress because their hormones are like a symphony throughout the month. And, and the more stress they get, the more progesterone gets pulled downstream to make cortisol. That starts putting them into estrogen dominance. When they get into estrogen dominance, they start bleeding more. That can lead to 
to um, an anemic pattern, low iron, high amounts of estrogen or more estrogen dominance can increase thyroid binding globulin, which can decrease free T3. So you can see how all these things start dysfunctioning. Plus the more estrogen dominant you get, the more you, you, you decrease that CD8, CD4 ratio, which keeps you more prone for autoimmunity. So you can see when these hormones function, they also dysfunction together as well. So that's why when you're like, you, when you're treating or looking at someone's thyroid, you never can just be like thyroid, thyroid, thyroid. You have to open that perspective up and also look at the female hormones and, and the adrenals, and then also looking at what's happening in the gut. And of course, all the nutrients that we eat and, and we hopefully digest and assimilate become the building blocks for all of our hormones, whether it's cholesterol or fat-soluble vitamins or amino acids. So if we don't eat the right things, we're screwed. If we don't digest and break down and absorb the right things, we're screwed. So we have to look at that foundation and really make sure we have it in order. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I feel like we've gotten a crash course in functional medicine mm -hmm. you know, yeah. from with this, you know, podcast. And so Dr. Justin, anything else top of mind that you're passionate about or excited about? You see patients all the time and have a busy practice. And so I know that you're probably learning a lot. So anything that we haven't covered that you want to share with our audience today? I would just say as a patient, when you listen to these interviews or just as an everyday human being, right? You're not, you're not, a, you're not even uh, having a health issue. You're just listening. I always try to say, well, what's one thing you can apply, right? Because if you kind of just go into these calls or these talks with like, what's one thing I can apply? It's easy to grab onto one. And so if you're kind of a newbie, work on some of the diet stuff, right? Work on like a reasonable whole food kind of paleo or autoimmune paleo template, right? Work on blood sugar stability, you know, eating every four or five hours, right? Uh, work on, you know, getting to sleep at night, right? Work on maybe the next thing is, is you find a good functional medicine doctor to get some testing done to see what's going on. But just try to glom onto one thing. Don't do everything because you don't have to get to the 10th the step by jumping there. You can, you can just take that first one or two steps. So just don't get overwhelmed, figure out one step. Don't get into the kind of minutia of like, I have to do this crazy protocol, work on the foundations and then work your way up. And then the nice thing about the internet, like if you go to my site, justinhealth.com, I see patients all over the world. So you don't even have to, to leave in this environment where everyone, you know, people are, are stuck in, inside due to all the COVID stuff. You can reach out to doctors like myself or Dr. Christine uh, virtually, and you can get help and support. So justinhealth.com is a great resource, a lot of podcasts and videos there. So feel free and just kind of like listen to a few podcasts, listen to a few videos. That's a good first step. And then just think about what's one thing you can apply with today's um, podcast. Awesome. I love your uh, website URL. And can people, where can people find out more about your book when it comes out? Yeah, so justinhealth.com. When you're there, you can get yourself added to the newsletter. There'll be a little link there for the book as well, and you should be able to, to add yourself on that list. So when it comes out, you'll be first to, um, to get work. And then when you're there, you can also subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast at justinhealth.com, J-U-S-T-I-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and your passion about functional medicine. And I'm sure anyone who's listening learned a lot and we'll have all of the um, ways to find you in the show notes. And I appreciate your time and getting to know you. Dr. Christine, great to meet you. And I've been really excited to be part of the podcast. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you.